It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Hey, welcome from our home to yours, to our Elevate online experience. Great to have you with us, uh, especially those of you joining us for the first time. Uh, Welcome. Um, This is coming to you from our home to yours. Uh, Our location scouts have been busy all week uh, trying to look for some great spots. So here I am in my uh, pain cave, which is the um, explains why there's a couple of bikes in the background. It's what triathletes call the pain cave when you're uh, riding indoors. So there you go, a little hot tip for you uh, there. Also want to give a shout out to our podcast listeners. We think of you as our extended Elevate family around the world and uh, great to have you joining us this week as well. In fact, in April, we had two countries make their debut in our top 10 uh, most listened to countries around the world. Uh, At number eight, one of my favorite countries uh, debuted at number eight is Singapore. So uh, those of you in Singapore that speak Singlish, uh, it's shock to have you with us. So welcome. Uh, and then actually rocketing into number four uh, most listened uh, countries around the world is, uh, is a country that's home to one of my favorite cuisines in the world, and that's Thailand. So welcome to uh, those of you listening uh, from Thailand. Great to have you with us today. We're launching... Uh, coming up for Mother's Day last week, launching a brand new three-week series today. And uh, the series is called, He's Still Got the Whole World in His Hands. And it's very intentional. Uh, We've put this series in now into our Elevate online experience in our podcast. Right in the, the midst of this global pandemic, where there's so much chaos and so much uncertainty, and, and we're just looking at uh, a perspective, in fact, a range of perspectives that I hope and pray are going to be incredibly helpful for you as we collectively navigate the, the, the next steps, both individually, within our families, within our churches, within our communities, and of course, within our, our nations. And um, it's not only just to say... It's not only uh, a series related to any sort of global pandemic. In fact, what we're going to teach over these three weeks, um, a principle will be helpful to you no matter uh, the situation, whenever you face chaos and uncertainty. So what I want to do today is I want to mess with your heads a little bit. Um, and, and give you a perspective that, that perhaps for some of you may not marry up with your current uh, or your pre-existing perspective when it comes to uncertainty. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, grab your device nearby, uh, open the Bible app. Uh, if you haven't got the Bible app, it's a free app. You can get it from your app store or Google Play. Uh, open up the Bible app, and I want you to join uh, with me and, and navigate to Mark chapter 14. And I'm going to read from the message version. Uh, you don't have to read from the message version, but that's going to explain if the words that you see in your Bible app don't line up. 
with what I'm reading. I'm reading from the Message Version. So Mark chapter 14 in the Bible app. Let's just uh, hold that. I'll come to that in a minute. I want to give you a little bit of the backstory before I drop you into the event that I want to focus on today. Uh, the event that I want to focus on is actually one that we typically uh, teach around Easter and in fact teach around Good Friday. And this year, just a few weeks ago, we did teach from this event on Good Friday. Um, it, it, it finds us or it finds Jesus and his closest followers, his 12 closest followers, actually gathered in an upper room to, to celebrate the Passover. Although we typically, uh, now that, that that story or that event has transpired, we, we don't call that event the Passover. We call that event uh, the Last Supper. But what was effectively happening was Jesus and his followers were gathering, as they would have done together for probably the last three years uh, annually, for the feast, the Jewish feast of, of Passover. Now, I don't want to take too deep a dive into the uh, historical uh, events of Passover. We'll, we'll, get, we'll hit that another time. But essentially what had happened, for 1,400 years, the Israelites, the Jewish nation, the Israelites had, had gathered every year to celebrate a, a feast that they called Passover, which just again, just a very shallow dive into that, uh, commemorated and celebrated the, the freeing of the nation of Israel from slavery in Egypt. So 1400 years prior to the event we're joining today, the nation of Israel, who had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years, had been let go. God had appointed Moses to challenge the Pharaoh of Egypt and asked, can you let my people go? And after 400 years of seemingly unanswered prayer, 400 years of uncertainty, 400 years of chaos, 400 years of having little or no control over their daily lives and ultimately their destiny, Pharaoh agreed to let them go. And so for the next 1400 years prior to the event we're going to look at today, the Jewish people had gathered every year to celebrate Passover. So, so Jesus and his uh, 12 closest followers, they once again, as per the custom, were gathered together in what we now call an upper room, uh, which was just a room that was upstairs. So it's nothing too uh, clever about the naming of that. <laughs> um, they were gathered to celebrate the feast of Passover. Now, again, before I get to that, I want to share one uh, additional important piece of information that will help us understand and appreciate more fully the chaos and the uncertainty that they found themselves in the midst of. See, just one week prior to Jesus and his followers gathering for Passover, just one week prior, Jesus and his followers, they'd actually entered into the city of Jerusalem. And, and Jesus had entered like a rock star, like a modern day rock star. I mean, we, he came in on a donkey, which we kind of, you know, jokingly say he rode in on a convertible. Ha ha. Not very funny. Um, and, uh, you know, it's like and his 12 followers, they're kind of chest out, fist bumping each other. Hey, Jesus, you the man. You know, we might have had... Uh, uh, Freddie Mercury and Queen on a flatbed following behind singing, We Are the Champions. Uh, if it was today, you'd have people elbowing through the crowds trying to get a selfie with Jesus. I mean, he was a rock star because week on week, month on month, year on year, for the, for the three plus years leading up to this event, 
Jesus had gone around doing incredible things. He'd gone around teaching truths that no one had heard before and in a way that no one had experienced before. Uh, he, he helped restore sight to blind people. He helped restore uh, hearing to deaf people. He helped people that, that couldn't uh, walk, walk again. And, and, then he, and then he pulled out the, the big birther, uh, which was to actually raise a guy named Lazarus from the dead, who'd been actually dead for four days. And so, so he was a rock star. Wherever he went, crowds gathered. Um, and so one week prior to Jesus and his followers celebrating Passover, gathering for that, uh, it, was, it was incredible. The scenes were incredible. And yet, <clears throat> just one week later, when they, went, when they were coming back into Jerusalem, things were very, very different. See, right now, Jesus knew that he, his life was under threat. He knew that the authorities were looking for him because they considered him, him a threat to their authority. And so rather than entering into, into this cavalcade and this fanfare, re-entering Jerusalem to celebrate Passover, Jesus actually w- w- gathered with his 12 actually outside of the city. And they were kind of hiding out. Jesus, they knew they were going to celebrate Passover, but Jesus, he didn't know who he could trust. And so he didn't tell his disciples where they were going to celebrate Passover, the the location, the venue. In fact, they waited. Jesus made them wait till after dark. And and, and even then, he only sent two of his followers in to the city. He told them to go and meet a particular gentleman. And that gentleman uh, would reveal the location. This is kind of like CIA black ops kind of deal. Um, and, and then under the cover of darkness, they, they moved into the city and they went up into this upper room. Very, very different from just one week earlier, full of chaos and uncertainty. And then they'll gathered around the table. And Jesus had this to say. After sunset, this is how Mark recorded the event. After sunset, Jesus came with the 12. And as they were at the supper table eating, Jesus said, I have something hard but important to say to you. One of you is going to hand me over to the conspirators. One who at this moment is eating with me. Stunned, they started asking one after another, what is isn't me, is it? (laughs) And Jesus said, it's one of the 12 one who eats with me out of the same bowl. In one sense, it turns out that the Son of Man is entering into a way of treachery, well marked by the Scriptures, no surprises here. In another sense, the man who turns him in turns traitor to the Son of Man, but never to have been born than do, better to never to have been born than to do this. In the course of their meal, having taken and blessed the bread, Jesus broke it and gave it to them. And then he said, take this. This is my body. Taking the chalice with the wine in it, he gave it to them, thanking God, and they all drank from it. And he said, this is my blood, God's new covenant, poured out for many people. Now, I'm aware that some of you joining us for our online experience today, you actually know how this story ends. And in some respects, that puts you at a disadvantage because if you know how the story ends, it's easy to just kind of blow past this, to actually 
um, not appreciate the level of uncertainty that Jesus' closest 12 followers would have been feeling at this time. You know, I, 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 I picture it as Jesus talking about blood and about his body and about it being sacrificed and about someone going to betray him and about he's going to lose his life, that, that his disciples um, were likely losing their minds. Because up to that point for the three and a half years that they'd been following him, this is not how their experience had gone. This is not what following Jesus looked like. It didn't look dark. It didn't look grim. It didn't look chaotic. It didn't look uncertain. For them in their experience, for three and a half years, following Jesus looked like things only moved forward. That things only got better. That that following Jesus only brought Certainty, and yet here they were listening and focusing on Jesus, who was explaining to them that that's not how this next chapter was going to go. And this idea that following Jesus only causes us to move forward and only causes things to get better and only causes things to become more certain is actually a 21st century uh, Western concept um, that's kind of become kind of become the default in, in, in too many cases. Uh, and it's and the problem is that this is not, the idea that things only move forward, only get better, only become more certain, that's not actually how history has played out. And we know this because of the events recorded in the Bible. Now, if you're not uh, overly familiar with the Bible, that's okay. We're glad that you're here and we kind of like to take a little uh, dive each week and learn more together each week. But one of the things that's critical to understand about the Bible is the Bible is not a collection of stories about rich people having fun. It's not a collection of stories where where kids never misbehave, where divorce never happens, where people never get sick, uh, where where your kids graduate uh, with straight A's and either go on to become professional athletes or or get a scholarship uh, and go to medical school. This is not the story in the Bible. In fact, you will see that the names and the events and the people and the situations throughout history recorded in the Bible over thousands of years. It's almost a collection of chaos and uncertainty. And there's a lot of highlights and, and, and we don't have time to get into too many of them. And I don't want to presume you know about the highlights, but let me give you a couple of examples where, where chaos and uncertainty uh, became the thing that the, the story was kind of like focused on. The events were focused on. There's a guy named Joseph. Now, if you've ever like had some sibling rivalry or, or, or you've got kids that kind of get, get in each other, you know, oh, he, he took my iPad, won't give it back. She stole the remote control, won't let me watch what I want, what, what I want to watch. If, 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 any, if that's been any of your experience, let, let me tell you about Joseph. Joseph at one point in his life, found himself at the bottom of a well, 
had been thrown in there by his brothers. And whilst he was in the bottom of the well, his brothers were at the top of the well debating amongst themselves, should we sell him or should we kill him? Or we should sell him. And I think we should, we should kill him. Chaos and uncertainty, and yet, and yet the events are recorded that even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty, God was with Joseph. Now, here's another one. If, you, if your kids have ever, uh, <laughs> those of you who are parents, your kids have ever not done what you asked them to do, I, I said, I told you, clean up your room. They've never, let me tell you about David. David was the king of Israel. And at one point in his journey, one point in his life, he woke up to, to discover the news that his son was gathering an army together with the sole purpose of coming to David and overthrowing him as the king. And yet as we look at those events and we read about them recorded in history, we learn that God was with David. And it flies in the face of this 21st century Western Christian idea that when you follow Jesus, things only move forward, things only ever get better, and there's always more certainty than less. And right now, Jesus' closest 12 followers, they are experiencing more or less for the first time this heightened level of uncertainty where their situation presented them with more questions than answers. So here's a question I want to ask you today. Can you trust God when there's no evidence of his activity in your life? Let me ask that again. Can you, can you, Trust God, even when there's no evidence of his activity in your life. So let's fast forward. Let's fast forward a few years and let's say you put on your investigative journalist hat and you went back to Jesus 12 or by this stage 11. You went to them and you interviewed them. And let's just say hypothetically you could do that and you ask them two questions. And the first question is this, when in your time following Jesus, when were things the darkest and the most uncertain? And, and I, think, I think it's, it's a no-brainer to say, well, it, they would say to you, it was this moment. It was in the upper room when Jesus was talking about you know, being betrayed and, and being killed. That's when it was the darkest and the most uncertain. And then you might come with the follow-up question. Okay, looking back for you as one of his closest followers, looking back now with the clarity of hindsight, when would you say God was most at work? And I tend to think they would give you the same answer that they gave for the first question, that the, the uncertainty the chaos was, was the darkest time. And yet it was in that moment that, that that was the epicenter of God doing his best work of, of making it possible for the salvation of the whole world. See, 
uncertainty, it's a thing, okay? It's a thing for you, it's a thing for me. It's a thing in the, in the global season we're in right now. But let me tell you two things that God's never thought. Number one, he's never thought, hmm, I didn't see that coming. And the other thing that God's never thought is, huh, not sure what I'm going to do next. And, and here's the great news. Even when things are uncertain, God isn't. So let me finish today with this. I'm going to say something. It's a pretty bold thing to say. Let me finish with one of the most important things written in the Bible, one of the most important promises written in the Bible, one of the most important perspectives written in the Bible. And it was written by a guy named Paul. And whilst Paul wasn't one of Jesus' first 12 followers, he, he certainly uh, became one of the most prominent uh, leaders in the early church. And uh, he would launch churches in, in major port cities and trade cities around the known world at the time and raise up leaders and, and, and hand the churches over to them and then go on to launch more churches. Uh, but he would use uh, letters to, to keep in touch with them and to encourage them and instruct them and sometimes correct them. Uh, and one of those churches was Rome. He, he didn't actually uh, found that. That was founded by other people. But he certainly had this sort of uh, next level leadership relationship with them. And one of the letters he wrote was a letter to the church in Rome. And, and, and in this letter, he included this, this incredible perspective. I would, in fact, almost, I would not. Okay, I'm going on record to say he included a vital perspective for every follower of Jesus. And you can find that in chapter 8, verse 28. Uh, again, I'm going to read it from the message version. It's going to come up on the screen here as well. This is what Paul wrote to the, the church in Rome, and it was as true for them then, which by the way, the Roman Christians were very much persecuted in the midst of Rome at that time. And he wrote this to them, and this is as true for them then as it is for us today. This is what Paul wrote. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is something good. <laughs> Let me read that again. That's why we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is something good. Well, that's not what Paul said. I mean, that's the redacted version. That's the version that, that, that people put on the Follow Jesus brochure because it sounds like you're just signing up for a cruise ship, that everything's good. Everything that you follow Jesus and every detail of your life is something good. And if you've been sold that version of following Jesus, then I encourage you to go back to the person that sold it to you and ask for your money back because that's not what God promised. He doesn't and didn't promise that every detail in our lives is something good. So let me give you the unredacted version. Let me give you the actual truth of what Paul wrote. That's why 
we can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. This promise, this truth, this perspective is at the core of why in every situation or season of uncertainty that you and I can be confident that he still has the whole world in his hands. We really hope you got a lot out of this message. If you live in the Perth area, we'd love you to join us for one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information about our great Elevate Kids and Elevate Youth environments, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me, and also download our Elevate Church AU app.